eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll from 60 to practice to the sideline to the locker room following every twist turn and touchdown of the Saints season that is going to be a touchdown Taysom Hill Taysom TD welcome to Inside Black and Gold and that is going to be a touchdown again and guess who Mike Thomas now here are your hosts Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak (laughs) oh baby we are Inside Black and Gold, Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak getting into the latest, greatest Saints news, and a lot of talk has been obviously quarterback, we also want to get into, man, there's sure been a lot of coaching changes after the big keyword or buzzword you would say last year, Jeff, was continuity. Yeah, so we're going to get into a lot of that today, the Saints announced five coaching hires on the staff, so we can, I know we've had a lot of coaching episodes lately it just happens to be what's been happening and anytime you have this much turnover you got to talk about it so hopefully this is one of the last like deep dive coaching episodes we do we obviously all already had the joe woods episode so we won't go into a lot of that but we'll go into a good bit on some of these other guys and then after that i have this very in-depth list of all the quarterbacks who have changed teams and like later in their careers obviously and then how they've kind of fared from a playoff perspective on those new teams. Uh, so we're going to go through a lot of that because there's a lot of interesting names on there and kind of see what makes sense to kind of compare and expect from Derek Carr, who is 31 and will be joining a new team for the first time. So I think that's kind of an interesting way to look at it. And then finally, we will have a live mailbag to close out the show as we do on all these Thursday episodes. I really do enjoy those. So I want to keep doing them. But yeah, so first things first, Steve, is there anything that stands out to you when I when I go through this list? Uh, so obviously, defensive coordinator, you have Joe Woods. Defensive line coach, Todd Grantham. Secondary coach, Marcus Robertson. Tight ends coach, Clancy Barone. Assistant offensive line coach, Kevin Carberry. Any of those names that ring a bell for you? 
I wouldn't say that they, you know, they were all guys I had to go definitely look up and learn more about. Obviously, most familiar with what we just recently saw out of uh, Joe Woods with the Cleveland Browns and some of his history. But other than that, Todd Grantham was the other name that really stuck out to me just for his history in the SEC. Uh, after looking up the coaches, I'm really kind of most excited or curious to see what Clancy Barone can do yeah. just because I feel like he's a guy that's, you know, you look at his resume, uh, the the talent he has been able to develop and what he has done already, and just this moldable piece that I still think has a lot of upside in Juwan Johnson. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And we can get into more about Clancy in a second here. One thing that I think is is interesting and worth noting, these five coaches – have a combined 131 years of coaching experience. Right. There are no young, fresh coaches coming in here. These are established coaches. Several of them are coaches that DA has worked with before or has a very good understanding of. And that was kind of what he talked to John DeSager, the Saints team reporter, and that was kind of the theme. It's like he wants known commodities on his staff. And it's the opposite of what you've seen from like a Sean Payton, for example, where he has known commodities of the guys he's familiar with, but not long-term, right? If you go through the six coaches that have left the Saints this offseason, you have Ryan Nielsen, Chris Richard, Corey Robinson, Zach Streif, Declan Doyle, Dan Roshar. That is six compared to five. And those six have 81 years of combined experience. And if you kind of part it down, 37 of those years are Dan Roshar. He's been coaching forever. So you are bringing in a lot of, coaching tenure like years spent you know time served time on task with this group and I think that was in that was a very intentional thing it's curious to me because I think that list you just rattled off about the Saints who are no longer here Richard's the only one without a gig right now right yes but it, Ian Rappaport just reported today that he did get interviewed with the Broncos which yeah. always kind of felt like what was going to happen I was sure. surprised that it didn't get reported immediately, but I don't know when it happened. He had previously done that interview, so that is on the table. But it does sound like he's Sean is closing in on Rex Ryan. Which is so why. Gonna, what, what year is yeah, this? <laughs> he wants to do the Ryan family Yahtzee. <laughs> My working theory is that when he hired Rob Ryan in New Orleans, he mistakenly thought it was Rex. But then he hired him. He's like, well, I'll look like an idiot if I tell anyone this. So we're just going to see what he has. And then obviously it didn't work. So now that he's with Denver... He's he's correcting that mistake and hiring sexy Rexy over there, uh, which, you know, I, that, I should say, like, he's the front runner, quote unquote. He hasn't hired Rex Ryan, but it does sound like that's going to be his guy. And it kind of makes sense because reports initially were that he was looking at Vic Fangio. So if you're kind of in, all in on that old guy thing, Vic Fangio is the same as Rex Ryan. But yeah. I, I would think you would want that younger voice that connects better with the player today rex ryan is a guy that man he's been out of football for so long and comfy in that studio i'm just shocked that i guess i shouldn't be but the fact that ryan's even interested in getting back in the coaching game instead of living the life in in the in the studio like i said yeah and i think this gets asked more about college than it does about the pros but that at a certain point you do have to be like okay are these guys able to connect with yeah. the modern day nfl athlete Right. Like when Rex Ryan was coaching the Jets, even six years ago or however long it was, 
that was a vastly different NFL than the one we're in today. Like it changes that quickly. And so that's the other thing is like even a Marcus Robertson, who is a assistant DB's coach on the Cardinals until this past season. Now he is the secondary coach for the Saints. He's 53 years old, right? He's he only has 16 years of NFL coaching experience, but he is 53 years old because he also played, right? Joe Woods is 52. Todd Grantham is 56, which surprised me. I was expecting him to be older considering he's been coaching since 1990. And then Clancy Barone, a guy who's been coaching since 1987, is only 59. So they're not, while they are older, they're not like Wade Phillips old. Like they're not like Andy Reid old, right? So I hopefully, and, and Todd Grantham is a guy who spent the last season with Alabama. So, you know, hopefully he's like all up on TikTok and all that and he can, he can, he can. Yes, and, and and to me, maybe being old and a former player is a hell of a lot different to being old and just, you know, a, a guy that did, did not play the game. You know what I mean? It was not ever a pro or even a college player. Right, right. And so, yeah, Kevin Carberry is another guy. He and Marcus Robertson both started coaching in 2007, which I thought I thought was interesting. But, yeah, so the other link that you have is Joe Woods and Marcus Robertson were both on the Raiders staff in 2014. And, you know, this, this is a very much intentional thing. Like they work together. DA likes them and brought them in. And the only positive I'll say for that is while you can critique heavily the Dennis Allen's time with the Raiders, this was the 2014 season when he only coached for four games. So it's not like if they were there for 2012 and 2013, I would be much more concerned at this point. It's more just like, okay, these are guys that, that understand how to work together. Joe Woods told John DeShazer that he's been up until midnight watching film since he got hired every night. So that's, that's nice to hear good reports on the linebacker group, the defensive line. But yeah, I do think that's interesting. One other thing is uh, Todd Grantham. And this was noted by Dennis Allen specifically. One of the reasons he was brought in is because of his wealth of experience in the SEC and at the college level. Because one of the areas that the Saints struggled mightily in the 2022 season, and frankly, every season over the last four or five, since the kind of RPO offense has exploded across the NFL, they have struggled to handle the RPO, the Eagles game specifically when Jalen Hurts was in there are prime examples. Kyler Murray, right? Lamar Jackson, all of these offenses that prioritize that, even the, the Falcons for that matter. In week one, Marcus Mariota ran them ragged doing similar things. So Todd Grantham was brought in in part because he has a ton of experience with that type of def- with offense, like defending that type of offense. So I think that's a... I, I think if you're looking for a reason to say, okay, I can get on board with this hire, the logic there is a good place to start because I think that this team improving in that part of the game and that part of the defense is something they have to do. And so at least the defense, the defensive minds are aware of that. You know, you bring up Grantham there too, obviously, and things come full circle. Wasn't he in the mix for the defensive coordinator job when – Sean Payton hired Rob Ryan, right? I am not sure. I'd have to go back and check. I, I believe he, he was. He was the defensive coordinator for the Browns as well. He's coached okay. defensive line for the Colts, Texans, and Cowboys, but he was the defensive coordinator for the Browns. So if you want to look at it this way, 
the Saints hired five coaches yesterday, and two of them are former Browns defensive coordinators, which is kind of interesting. Well, you can look at it this way. A once former Browns coach went on to lead the New England Patriots, so it's not where you where you start kind of thing. It's where you end up. I don't know. And there are a lot of former Browns coaches. <laughs> there you go, right? <laughs> they have not had a lot of long-tenured coaching staffs there. Um, so that, no, that that's kinda... that. Yeah, what 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 have you had longer stays at quarterback or at coaching staffs in Cleveland? Who knows? Right. Yeah, it's it's not exactly a uh, <laughs> a job Steady. security place. Right. Um, all right. So yeah. So getting to Clancy Barone, who he's the name that I think people know the least about. For sure. Right. Interesting because. I would argue that he he's probably one of the more successful names <laughs> yeah. in terms of accolades that have been hired uh, in this group. Because you're talking about a guy who has coached tight ends for the Bears, Vikings, Broncos, Chargers, and Falcons. It's a lot of teams, right? <laughs> and names you know very well. Right. So Algie Crumpler, Antonio Gates, and Julius Thomas are the big names. And then Kyle Rudolph, he also coached to the Pro Bowl when he was there. So... He's the first tight ends coach in NFL history to coach four different pro bowlers with four different teams, which is kind of obscure, but I do think it is something that I would put as a feather in my cap in terms of both being proving that you can do it anywhere. And also like, yes, I would like someone who understands the work habits of an Antonio Gates to work with your tight ends. Like that's a positive thing. And I don't know if Jawan Johnson is the guy who you're really going to point him to, Maybe he can revitalize Adam Troutman or, you know, I don't know if revitalizes the word because it's like that would indicate that he was ever <laughs> above where he is now. But we're maybe waiting. You can, yes, we're waiting for that. Yeah, that maybe you line. can pull something out of him that we haven't seen yet. Maybe you go and draft a guy. There's a lot of interesting tight ends in this draft. So I think that was an interesting hire. But I do think it's the reason you lost Declan Doyle, or who was an offensive assistant who coached tight ends at the Senior Bowl. And now he is going to join Sean Payton's staff as the tight ends coach. And I have a feeling that one of the reasons this was kind of announced on the same day as Declan being kind of reported as the Broncos coaches, he was in strong consideration for the tight ends coach job. And they decided to go with Clancy, which means, you know, the dominoes fall and Declan ends up there, but he's going to be a good coach. He's a, he's a really smart guy. I got to talk to him a bit at the senior bowl and uh, you know, Sean is making sure to, that he has a very strong Saints imprint on his Broncos staff. There's no question about that. Yeah, the um, you know another quote unquote poaching job by <laughs> Peyton going f- with Declan Doyle, and yeah, I, th- I thought he was going to be a guy that ended up choosing to stay, but I guess or, or ended up making the choice to stay. But I'm, I'm I might have been confusing that with Kevin Petrie. Kevin Petrie is another. He's another offensive assistant. Sean did offer him a job. I don't know what it was. But he was offered a job and he turned it down to stay in New Orleans. Like he's a he's a local guy. So his whole life is here. He grew up here. So that kind of makes sense. Whereas for Declan Doyle, the other guy, Zach Streif, while this is kind of where they have set up shop for the beginning of their NFL career, you know, they're really just trying to advance. It's the same reason Ryan Nielsen went to Atlanta. Is these are guys who maybe want to be a head coach someday, right? So this is how you kind of get to that point is you go and you take promotions and that's what these are so i think the the second declan was not the pick for the saints he became the pick for the broncos and the question now the only position coach that we're still kind of wondering about is ronald curry 
who had interviewed with the Bucks for their offensive coordinator position and also the Broncos for their OC job. The Bucks finally filled theirs. Canales? And I don't even know if I'm saying that right either. Yeah, Dave Canales. So they hired him. They interviewed like nine people for that job. They could not, you know, so, and, and once you kind of keep keep it on interviewing, 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 the guys early on in the list can't feel confident <laughs> because <laughs> if you were a slam dunk hire, they wouldn't have never, they would have never gotten that far in the process. Right. <laughs> but yeah, and so the final coach is replacing Zach Streif. He's going to be on Doug Marone's staff. And I actually thought this was an intriguing hire because, you know, in a lot of cases, you'll be hiring a young coach like a Zach Streif in his right. first career coaching job into an assistant offensive line coach role. It's why I kind of felt like Jari Evans might have been an in, a good choice there if he was interested in it. They hired Kevin Carberry, who spent the last two seasons as the Rams offensive line coach. So, like, this is a guy with significant NFL experience. And so you have a pretty robust group there with Doug Marone and Kevin Carberry. The other thing that's worth noting about Kevin Carberry is his coaching stint before the Rams was this was with Stanford where he was also their run game coordinator. So when you fired Dan Roshar, you fired your tight ends coach and your run game coordinator. So I would not be surprised at all if one of the reasons you brought Kevin Carberry in on that role is so he could also serve as the run game coordinator. So I think that that's probably where you're going to end up going there. But no, I think these, these hires, you know, if you want to say that Dennis Allen is not someone you trust as a head coach, and I can understand why you would say that, then I think when you look down this list of established coaches, of guys who you trust, of guys who have a track record of success in the NFL, that's what I'd like to see because these are guys who he can lean on as opposed to you're bringing in a lot of unknowns who may or may not grow to be great coaches in the NFL like that would be a much bigger wild card for a guy who I think really has a lot riding on this season and wants to make sure that he's not trying to fill any holes because guys he hires are not who he expects them to be, right? So that's that's kind of where I see this. And I have a hard time hating on any of these hires at the end of the day. No, uh, for me, anything that goes along the defensive side of the football, I'm really not overly concerned with because guess what? I know DA does no defense. The offensive side of the football Still a huge question, what's going to happen for me along the offensive line and with the run game besides quarterback? So coaching is – I can't even think of what P. Carmichael has to go through right now trying to organize a staff when you have no idea what you're doing at QB or even, like I said, running back is a, a major question, like it or not, with that Alvin Kamara suspension quote-unquote looming. Yeah, it does make for some awkward conversations. I think that's why this team – was motivated to try to trade for Derek Carr as opposed to kind of waiting it out in yeah. free agency. One of the things you said to me before we came on was you're surprised that you haven't seen news of Derek Carr going to visit so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And, so and, so and, so. and he, you know, and, and like he's been a free agent for two days. He's probably <laughs> like packing up his, you know, hotel room or where I sure he has a house in, in Vegas. I don't know. He's only been there for two years, three years, three years. I think they got there in 2020. Anyway, that's why, right? Because now you as the Saints are in the same boat as everybody else. And free agency doesn't start until March 16th. Who knows how, at what point you're going to be able to start making some inroads in a, in a potential contract. And it does put you in an awkward situation in regards to your staffing. I don't know, but you're just, at this point, you're evaluating at you the combine coming up. And uh, I do expect the Saints to be looking hard at running backs. 
even though they brought in a running back, they decided not to give any carries in the game. It didn't matter, which I'm still annoyed about. I'm talking about Eno Benjamin. Got two carries. Two carries in week 18. The game didn't matter. You ran Alvin Kamara 23 times. There's got to be something else there, honestly. I mean, I don't know. Uh, but it doesn't make sense either because you would think you would get why, – why, why use Alvin in that game? Why bring him in at all if you're not going to play? Anyway, uh, we'll see. I, I expect him to be on the roster next year, so it'll be an interesting question as to how they view him if they do see him as a viable guy or if he's just a camp body. But yeah, that's going to be – we're going to get into more mock draft stuff starting on Tuesday, like our Monday for Tuesday episode. So we don't need to get into a lot of that. But I do want to put a bow on a lot of this Derek Carr stuff, a lot of the coaching stuff. And then, you know, next week, I think that's when we're going to lean fully into kind of mock draft season, start talking about prospects and stuff like that. I'm just at least when we're talking mock drafts, we have a first rounder now (laughs) because looking looking at mocks previously is like, why am I even looking at this? You know, there's, there's no point. Yeah, I mean, I still don't see much of a point in doing mock drafts for the 29th pick because it's like the variables of who might be available at that point are just crazy. With the amount of trades, right. Right, like the idea that you're going to have any idea what the board is going to look like at that point is dumb. But hey, what else are we going to talk about, right? No, and I think uh, we uh, that was something we mentioned. I mentioned earlier before we went on. It's like at least when you're doing the mocks, you get like a general sense of a pool of players that could be around at that point. And, and maybe, I mean, that there's, there's, that's even not a sure scenario that that person will still be there because I don't think anybody in the universe had Peyton Turner going to the saints last year in the first round kind of thing. It wasn't like he was even a first round peg talent that I can think of two years ago. Yeah. But yeah. Um, no. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get into more of that, but I think that's why the mock drafts are useful because it's like, okay, what if these guys are on the board? Who are you picking on? Why? Right. That's, that's the question I try to answer as opposed to like, oh, I really like this person, blah, blah, blah. I feel like um, the only mock ever gotten right by the Saints media, I think everyone had Sheldon Rankins. I mean, I got I got last year's, right? You had Chris Olave and Penny? I didn't or? have them. Tra- I didn't get the tra- – I didn't – when I do mocks, I don't do trades. Right, that's but what I was going to say. I did have them taking Chris Olave and Trevor Penning. Wow. <laughs> you need to, but I think a lot of people did. I don't think that was a surprise. Like, I, I think that was a pretty – you know, I think they projected their interest and it made sense and they did it. Like it was an Ohio State guy and the top offensive lineman on the board. <laughs> uh, like once they traded that second for that second pick, I, it was like previously I was kind of like prior to them making that trade, I was like, well, they're going to pick one of Chris Olave or Trevor Penning. <laughs> and it was just a matter of which one. Once they got the second pick, I was pretty confident. Anyway, so that, that won't happen again. This year I will get it wrong 100%. Um, but as long as I get like the methodology right, like I had them taking Greg Russo in 2021 which my logic was I think they're going to add a defensive end and there's a lot of interesting defensive ends. So it was just, I mean, and Greg Russo went like two picks later. So like I got the pick wrong, but at the same time, I got the idea right. So I I consider that a win in in the mock draft first. And would you rather have Russo over Davenport? Over Peyton Turner. Turner, yeah, that's what I meant, sorry. Yeah, I probably would. Exactly. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll get into more of that. So let's let's wrap up this segment because it's kind of gotten a little off the rails. <laughs> and we'll come back and we'll go through that that list of quarterbacks to compare Derek Carr to. It's going to be fun. All right. Keep it locked inside Black and Gold. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. We've been seeing really good, really good engagement lately. The, the download numbers have been up, so that's good to see. I appreciate that. Appreciate everyone who listens, everyone who's subscribed, anyone who's left a comment or a review, anyone who's in here right now. You're my, you're my best friend. Except that's the one star comment. Yeah, except, yeah, except for that one person. Who, I knew I'd get you with that. Who is the worst? That one person. Don't know who they are. We'll never meet them. We'll probably never find out their identity unless they reveal themselves. It's probably the fake Traquan Smith. That's probably who it is. Faquan Smith. That's what I'm going to call him from now on if he shows up again. Faquan Smith. His comments live up to his play on the field. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. He's mad. He's mad. Faquan Smith. Anyway. So yeah. So as, as promised, I yesterday, if anyone follows me on Twitter, they probably saw that I was compiling a list of all the quarterbacks who, you know, at, at, at its base level, this list was quarterbacks who changed teams for the first time in their 30s and had success in the playoffs with those new teams. I, I came up with a lot of players who did not qualify for one reason or another, but I still have them on this list that we will go through them. And also, like, for example, one of these guys was 29 when he changed teams. I'm including him. Like, it's not that strict. It's just basically to come up with a baseline of what should you really expect out of Derek Carr? Like, a 31-year-old guy in going into his 10th NFL season, playing for a new team for the first time, the presumptive idea is that he is a better quarterback than his career record would indicate, right? He has a losing career record, but he played for a losing organization in the Raiders. So, you know, if you're trying to trade for him, you're kind of looking at it kind of like like one of the players on this list who might be the best example, Matt Stafford, who was traded to the Rams in 2021, age 33, immediately went on a Super Bowl run, won a Super Bowl. Obviously, they struggled this year. There's a lot of organizational things that led to that. But, you know, if you're looking to come to be anybody in this realm of, OK, what type of success should we hope for? Matthew Stafford's probably the gold standard with the exception of like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, who are also on this list of guys who have done that. And there's no way in hell I'm ever going to compare Derek Carr to Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, which is why I wanted to come up with a longer list than that. No, I, and it's just, I think a, a great idea just because you get, like you said, a, just a general gauge of what you can expect for Derek Carr moving on here. Obviously there's, you know, the factor of playing for the Raiders is another thing. 
I guess that's hard to throw into the equation just because of the franchise you, you, you're, you're looking at as well. Well, right. Like in a lot of cases, you'd be like, well, why, why, why is he getting all of this interest? He's only never won a playoff game. Right. <laughs> right. And so that's kind of where you look at it. But like, there's a few other good examples. One of them I did, actually didn't have, I didn't get it yesterday. No one, no one, all of the people who replied to this tweet, no one mentioned his name was Ryan Tannehill. Right. He's a guy who was on the Dolphins, got drafted by the Dolphins, was kind of a project, dealt with an injury, then went to the Titans in 2019. He's 31. He has a two and three career record in the playoffs. He did beat Tom Brady in that one game. I think it was might have been Tom Brady's last game with the Patriots, actually, in 2019. It had to be because it was, yeah, it was 2019. And he went to the Bucks in 2020. Like he he's a probably a good example of okay, can Derek Carr be a Ryan Tannehill level quarterback? I would say probably, yeah. That would be like my low my my floor of what Derek Carr could be, kind of thing. I, I would hope at least. Yeah, I mean, for perspective, like you didn't get a discount on Ryan Tannehill. I think a lot of people would be like, "Well, yeah, but he's Ryan Tannehill." The Titans signed Ryan Tannehill to a four-year, one hundred and eighteen million dollar contract. This was back in twenty twenty. The numbers have climbed since then, but like you're talking, you know, forty thirty million dollars a season for Ryan Tannehill. He's going to count thirty six million dollars against the Titans cap this year. So like. That's where you're looking at. So, yeah, okay. In that sense, I expect him to be better than Ryan Tannehill. The other one who is probably closer to reality for what you'd hope for with Derek Carr is Kirk Cousins. Now, there's a reason I call him Mr. League Average, and it's because he's Mr. League Average. But when you look at what he has done over the course of his time with the Vikings, which he went there in 2018, that was following the the case Keenum miracle, I believe I think Sam Bradford started that season and it was case Keenum who finished it out for the Vikings. Correct. Kirk cousins went there the next year, which it's like, because that playoff run was in 2018, but the next season was the 2018 season anyway. So he was eight, he was 30 years old when he got there. He has a one and two record in the playoffs that one, everyone might remember as the Kyle Rudolph blatant OPI game, which I tweeted that I put that in a tweet and immediately got like a bunch of Vikings fans in my mentions telling me, I don't know what offensive pass interference is and, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm still mad about that game, which is just ironic to me because I didn't invite them to come onto the tweet. They just found it. And I was like, I think you care about this a lot more than I do. It's like, you can like, like, I don't think Rams fans are like, Oh yeah, yeah. That wasn't a penalty. That shouldn't have been called in the, in the NFC championship. They're like, Oh, we got away with one. In the Vikings but, case, I think they very much think that was not offensive pass interference, which is funny to me. Anyway, that's just, his one win in the playoffs. They're still just butthurt over the Super Bowl and, and quote unquote bounty gate. Yeah, and like they, uh, yeah, we actually so there's a guy on this list uh, that had something to do with that. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and it's just funny because as a Giants fan at, at heart, I have they can't hurt me, right? Yeah, exactly um, right. That's the good part, right? Because <laughs> uh, like even like the giant, like the Eagles fans can hurt me, <laughs> the Vikings can't. Um, and so like they that that's that's like the superpower of being able to say that because they're like, oh, you're still mad about this and this and this. Well, actually, right. Anyway. Sorry to tell you, because the Vikings, I mean, they have ripped the Saints' hearts out multiple times, right? Like that's it's been a brutal. Like the Saints don't want to see the Vikings in the playoffs. No, and except for that NFC Championship game, I don't think the history against the Vikings in the postseason is good at all 
between the two teams. Yeah, but so yeah, Kirk Cousins. I think if you got Kirk Cousins level performance out of Derek Carr, you would be fine with it. You would hope for a better showing in big games. I think that's always been the yeah. Kirk Cousins kind of prime kryptonite. Is, it's, called, it's almost like primetime Andy. Yes, it's very similar to Andy Dalton. It's kind of that primetime curse where, you know, the second the lights come on, you're just a different guy. But yeah, so he's currently on a one-year extension, $35 million. His previous contract was three years, $84 million. I'm sorry, that was his first contract. Then he signed a two-year, $66 million contract. And now he is on a one-year, $35 million contract. So again, you are talking about $35 million in that range for Kirk Cousins. But I do think that's probably the best comp that you will have being if you look at kind of what Kirk Cousins did with Washington and then the Vikings taking a swing at him in the same offseason, mind you, they took a swing at Drew Brees and he decided to go back to the Saints. That's when they ended up with Kirk Cousins. So I don't know what line you draw from there, but I think it's an interesting it's interesting that he's on this list. The thing with Kirk Cousins is he's not someone that's going to move the needle at, at all either for you. Like you said, like basically Mr. League average is, is the perfect nickname for him, but he doesn't have, doesn't have average weapons around him. No, he's and got I guess, excellent weapons around him. Right. Yeah. And that, that's something though that I'm not going to put Olave on a Jordan Jefferson level quite yet, but you still have Justin Jefferson. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Justin Jordan Jefferson. Jefferson is his older brother. And, and I mean, <laughs> For a while, I mean, until this year, I, I would put Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara obviously in that same level, but just it was a rough year altogether for the Saints run game and anybody in the backfield it seemed in, or in this offense. So I don't know if really I can say Kamara's regressing, but a guy like Dalvin Cook certainly has not. He had a, another stellar year. Yeah, and I think like if you kind of – switched universes and put Derek Carr on the Vikings and had Kirk Cousins be the guy who you're considering, you'd be having the same conversation. Like, does he move the needle enough, right, to pay him $40 million? And I don't know, but I think you would land in a similar place with both those guys. So there's three other na- – okay, so as I mentioned, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady are on this list too. There's no point even talking about them. They are completely unique cases. Both were very – obviously very good. Both won Super Bowls with the team they went to. Both did it very late later than Derek Carr. I think Peyton was 36. Tom was in his 40s by the time he got to his new team. I'll still say Tom carried his team to the to the Super Bowl in Tampa where Peyton was carried by that defense. Yeah, but that was only the Super Bowl year. Like, Peyton was a stud. Yeah, yeah, the year before. Yeah, uh, two years, the two years before. Right, right. Yeah, so, like, it's not like he was, he got there and he was a shell of himself. By the end, he was a shell of himself. But like that first year, he was as good as he ever was. Yeah, it was, it was just amazing. I guess you would say how drastic that drop came. Yeah, I mean, once you, you most most quarterbacks decline as they get older. It's only Tom Brady who's just. I think he's like replacing body parts with like machine parts, and that's why he doesn't ever get a drop off. We, we've seen little chinks in the armor for for Brady, but nothing where it just was like that complete fall off the hill. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's just he's really good, and it was just a question like he could keep playing right now. He's oh, he's stopping sure. because he doesn't I think he kind of lost that drive a little bit. But either way, those guys I'm not going to compare him to. I thought opposite was going to happen for him honestly because of the divorce and everything. Now he was just like I'm just going to play forever. That's what I thought. Yeah, but you know, maybe maybe he had a change of heart. All right. So there's one more name on this list and 
keep in mind, this is going back to 2000. I'm not, I have a list of kind of the old men category, like the Randall Cunninghams and the Joe Montanas and whatever, but that's, that's a different list. I also have a different list of players who got there, but did not win a playoff game. So the last one who did, the last player who went to a different team, he was 29, but I'm counting him, is Jake Plummer. He went to the Broncos in 2003 at 829, and he went two and three in the playoffs. So Jake Plummer, not a guy you you think about as a good quarterback. (laughs) Not at all. And yeah, I can't believe he actually uh, got a a playoff victory. Two of them. He's he's in the Tebow category. There are three players on a list that I think is fair to include here. One is Phillip Rivers, who went to the Colts in 2020. He did it at 39. He lost in his in the playoff game, but he was solid with the Colts. Like he did the job with the Colts for considering a 39-year-old going to a new team for for one year. Like he, if you look at like Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, they wish they got the type of performance they got out of Phillip Rivers out of those two guys, right? Yeah, because Phillip brought him to the playoffs at least. Exactly. Exactly. And he was solid and he was still talking shit to people. You know, that's kind of his bag. Brett Favre to the Jets in 2008. He did it at 39. He, they didn't make the playoffs, but they did go nine and seven. So like in the sense that he had a record that was good enough to get them to the playoffs, like the team did, I'll I'll give him credit for that. He was solid. Like he, he went there at 39. He was still good. So he's on this list. And he also ruined dick picks forever by they were already ruined. They were already he, ruined. He just made it, I guess, um, a public thing. He just made us think about it way more than anyone wanted to. The last name in RIP is Steve McNair, who went to the Ravens in 2006 yeah. at 33 years old. Now, he didn't win a playoff game, but I still want him. Like, I'll keep him on this list because they went 13 and three and got a bye. And so, like, if they had played in the first round, they probably would have won. They lost in the divisional round. So, like, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. Like, if you play well enough in the regular season that you're able to skip around to the playoffs, to me, you, like, in theory, in the purposes of this list, you got to win. And so, like, he was very good there. So he's an example of it working out. Aaron McNair. Aaron McNair. So guys who were too young, Jimmy Garoppolo, he went to the 49ers at 26, but he has a four and two playoff record. He did get to a Super Bowl. He's one of the few people <laughs> on these lists that got to a Super Bowl. That's crazy. Drew, actually, if you, these these young guys all got to a Super Bowl. Now that I look at it, Drew Brees to the Saints in 2006. He was 27, so he's pretty close. He's pretty close to being an example of this working. But like I said to you previously, like if Derek Carr was 27, would you not feel completely differently about his potential candidacy to be your franchise quarterback? Definitely. And it just seems once you get over that 30 hill, all of a sudden you're like, oh, you're kind of like someone who's not saying that's that you're you're on the downgrade right now, but you're definitely someone who's I think upward development has peaked. TH wants to wants to clear up our Jake Plummer slander. So I'll let him do that. He says he was stuck in Arizona until y'all too long and we're crazy. Fine. I just don't get excited when you tell me like if you they were like, oh, maybe they bring in Derek Carr and he's as good as Jake Plummer. That might change my opinion. But yeah, Drew Brees, 9-8 and eight in the playoffs. Again, too young. But like an example of a guy not succeeding as well as you would hope on his first team and going to another team being good. The difference being like if Derek Carr was 27, the contract you would be signing him to would be done by the time he is 31. 
And that's the point that you're signing him now. So <laughs> like, that's tough. The next one, and I hesitate to put him on here, Trent Dilfer to the Ravens yeah. in 2000. He was 28, but and he went 4-0 in the playoffs with wow. the Ravens. They won a Super Bowl. It wasn't good. So like, he's kind of an aberration on this list. That's definitely, obviously, a defense that not just carried their quarterback, that just, I, I, it's like elevated him the entire way. Just uh, an amazing instance there. Yeah, I don't think you're going yeah. to see a quarter, a position that lacking at quarterback, you know, win again a Super Bowl that in this day and age kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember the score, but that Giants team that they blew out in the Super Bowl blew out the Vikings. I think that was a Dante Culpepper team in the NFC championship by like 30 points. Like that's how good that Ravens defense was. Like you know, Trent Dufford just had to show up. They were, they're probably similar to the 49ers this year. They were better than the 49ers this year, but they were probably similar in that sense of like, you could have put any quarterback in there. As long as they were like not doing stupid things, you're going to win games. Okay. So here's a bunch of folks who, would have qualified for the main list, but they ended up somewhere else in between stops where like they were solid, but like they weren't somewhere else. So Nick Foles to the Eagles, which is kind of funny because he actually returned to the team that drafted him, but he was obviously on some, some teams and did not perform well in between that. Case Keenum to the Vikings is another example. Carson Palmer to the Cardinals is a good example. And it's an interesting one because... The stretch that he was bad was with the Raiders. And the second season he was with the Raiders, Dennis Allen was the head coach. Hmm. But then he went to the Cardinals with Bruce Arians and he kind of resurrected things. But like that's the, the Carson Palmer is the reason that Dennis Allen did not have a first round pick in his first year as head coach. They traded it for Carson Palmer. So it's kind of an interesting uh, connection there. Everything's all linked together somehow. Yeah, it always comes back to the Raiders, right? Rich Gannon is another example. He was the guy who ended up on the Raiders, but he also had a stint in Washington. I think he had another one. I can't recall who it was off the top of my head. Oh, Chiefs. Both of those were kind of failed. and But then he got to the Raiders and he was good. Brad Johnson with the Bucks. He's the guy who beat the Raiders in the Super Bowl. And he also had a stint with Washington before he got to Tampa Bay. So like, why is that relevant? Well... If you're comparing people to to other guys, you know, you don't want to be the you don't want to be the Washington to Rich Gannon, right? You don't want to be the Raiders to Carson Palmer. You don't want to be the Giants to Kurt Warner. I think a lot of people forget Kurt Warner was on the Giants for a season and he was the bridge to Eli Manning. He started, I want to say, the first eight games of that season, and then they went to Eli Manning, and then Kurt Warner goes out to Arizona. And, you know, maybe this is just a Bruce Arians thing. I don't know. Seems to be a common a common thread as well. And suddenly he's getting them to a Super Bowl. So, like, that's where you want to avoid. You don't want to be the team that signs Derek Carr and it just all goes in the tank. And then he goes somewhere else and is successful. <laughs> so that's why I think those are interesting examples that you don't want to necessarily be associated with. Yeah, the biggest thing f for me with any of the quarterbacks for the Saints for next season is just going to be what what exactly are we looking for in Pete Carmichael's system, quote-unquote, to get this job done? I think the thought – I believe the thought was that this was going to be a more run-heavy team, and we just didn't see that last year. 
it's going to depend a lot on who the quarterback is, right? And you know, I <laughs> yeah, know, exactly. um, there's just there's so much, and I know it's that's what we do. We 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 guess and we try and speculate what's going to happen, but to to even see who's going to be quarterback right now for next year is still very very hazy. There's no there's definitely not a clear picture of it. And so much of it is going to depend on who that is, right? Like, like I, I know it's a cop out, yeah. but like if you sign Derek Carr, then you're going to be doing a lot of different things, right? If you break the bank and you send all of the assets for Lamar Jackson, you're going to be doing different things. If you do what Louise Lockett would love and keep it, give the job to Taysom, uh, you're going to be doing very different things. If you well, keep Jameis and you and you do it there, like so, or if you hear the yeah, other you know, report, all the Saints have some interest in Baker Mayfield. I mean, if you're gonna get real cheap, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it comes down to okay, here's a question: If it came down to it, and you had to pick between Baker Mayfield and Andy Dalton, who would you go with? Wow, I would have to. Even for me, that is not the Baker Mayfield fan. I would I would probably go Mayfield there just because of the the youth factor and that I think he could do more with his legs and have more mobility than Andy Dalton's gonna give you. Yeah, like I'd agree with that. Right. Like I, I don't I would love Andy Dalton as the backup if he's the backup. Like I think he's a high quality backup. If I'm going for a guy I don't have a ton of faith in. I'd at least like it to be the guy who's younger and has some upside. That yeah, right. Maybe, Come on. It's the same reason you you had hope for Jameis, right? Like he's still young, and and I still think, and I said this last week or earlier this week, is that the more you look at this list, if you strike out on Derek Carr, or if you can't make a trade, if you can't do anything, like Jameis continues to look like the best option. He's already <laughs> under contract, but like it has nothing to do with him as a player that makes you think it's not likely it's all about like the relationships within that locker room. And it's just, it continues to be very difficult for me to see a scenario where DA is like, Oh yeah, Jameis, we're going back to you. Let's do it. I was going to say you put that scenario too. You could say, who would you rather have Baker Mayfield or Jameis Winston as your quarterback? I'd rather have Jameis. I I think so. The problem is obviously the past two years of injury have just left a, a huge cloud over what he's able to do anymore. Baker gets hurt every year too. That's not it. Like Baker's injury history is no better than Jameis's injury history. So in that sense, I, I don't buy that as a reason. I guess it just it's more prevalent to me just because it's been on the Saints the last two years. It's right here, right? You've seen it happen, right? But I mean, Baker Baker has had just as many issues with his throwing shoulder and and all that. So like I, I don't know, like, but in the sense that I think the bridges have been burned, then yeah, you probably would go with Baker, but. I don't know. I, either way, it's going to be something we have to kind of wait and see. Free agency is still a month away, so I think that's why it's going to be more more prudent to talk draft from here uh, over the next couple of weeks. But we can continue to banter about the quarterbacks if that's what people want to hear about. Well, that's another. We go back to we we were joking about mock drafts before. There's so, that that scale of just where some folks prospect window are is amazing because I'll see Saints mock drafts with. Oh, I got Hendon Hooker with the 29th overall selection. And then I see other picks going, look at this steal. I got Hendon Hooker in the third round. And you're yeah. like, come on, man. Yeah, well, and it's like, like for example, I, I think it's another thing I said earlier this week. Like Anthony Richardson is going way too high in these mock drafts. And it's like, I have 
a very strong confidence that he's going to go out to the combine and teams are going to be like, he is not a top 10 pick. He might be a first round pick. Like you, like I think he's going to be in the 29 range I do that the too, teams right. are going to be able to get a shot at him. But if you talk about that right now, people look at you like you're crazy because everyone in the mock draft sphere has decided that he's a top 10 guy and I fully expect him to slide down. Anyway, that's part of the fun, right? Yeah, the, uh, you know, everyone's got an opinion season, I guess you could call it. I don't know. Yeah. All right, let's wrap that segment up and we'll come back and hit the mailbag. If you haven't got your questions in there yet, make sure to do that. We're going to go to a break. We're going to star a bunch of these comments and then we're going to come back and get to them. All right, this is Inside Black and Gold. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold. And we are diving into the mailbag. I'm Jeff Nowak. He is Steve Geller. And I thought this comment was interesting. It's from Elliot Love, L-U-V. says, Dennis Allen put together a coaching staff that would give him complete control. Even Pete Carmichael will probably have less control over play calling. Can someone talk about that? We did spend a good bit of this podcast, the first segment, going over the coaching hires. But I do think that's not necessarily true. He hired some people that he knew, but... If you're looking to for a coaching staff that's going to kind of bow down to you and be yes men and do whatever you ask them to do without questioning it and not give advice and not give feedback and, and generally not be a part of the process and for the head coach to have complete control and, and all this, I'm not hiring a bunch of guys with 20 and 30 years of coaching experience, right? Like I'm hiring the young guys. So in that sense, I don't I don't think that's what's going on, right? I don't think that you hire guys who have been coaching football for 30 years if your hope is that they won't challenge you on stuff you're doing. For me, the, the second part of it too, I don't really necessarily think that Carmichael's going to have less control over play calling either. I would like him to. Right, I, I hear you, but I just don't think that's going to happen. Who, who's going who's taking over as play caller for the offense? And then what is Pete doing as offensive coordinator? Well, he'd be doing the same job he was doing under Sean for his entire career. So I, I don't see that as like he, he has plenty to keep him to keep him busy without calling plays on game day. If you decided to go and say, okay, Ronald Curry, call the offensive plays, you know, you, I mean, who knows if Ronald Curry is better than Pete in that regard? Like he's different in this. So like, maybe that's enough, but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm hoping that they do make some changes to how they operate on offense, but I don't anticipate Pete giving him play calling um, unless something crazy happens. No, that that's another thing. The biggest change on offense might be the QB, obviously. Right. This is Jason Brown. Pete Carmichael isn't Sean McVay, though. That's the difference. He's kind of ref he's referring to kind of the comparison between Matt Stafford and Derek Carr in the sense that Matt Stafford ended up on the Rams and they had immediate success. So they 
won a Super Bowl, right? It's the only example other than Tom Brady that you can find in at least the last few decades where somebody got to a new team and immediately won a Super Bowl, right? Tom did it with the Bucks. Matt did it with the the Rams. So in that sense, they are both at the top of that list yeah. of, of like, okay, what's the goal? You did it. You know, like if you have any goal of signing with a new team, it would be to win a Super Bowl in year one. That has to be the top goal. I don't know what you could have higher than that, but if there's something higher than that, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> and so, yeah, like you'd want to be able to say maybe Derek Carr can have that type of effect on his new team. But yes, Sean McVay is kind of this offensive wizard. And I don't know if you would say that about Pete Carmichael. I don't know how you, if you would say that about kind of this head coaching regime. So it's a good point, right? Like part of what made Matt Stafford successful was not just being Matt Stafford. It was suddenly getting to work with Sean McVay, a guy who I would argue was handcuffed by Jared Goff for a long time. The only positive in that relationship was Jared would never question anything you wanted him to do. He would just do it. He was, you know, he'd literally call the plays in his helmet. But yeah, I think it's a good point. Yeah, to me too, I think the the situation, obviously that this was, you know, the, the old Detroit when Stafford was around over there. Things were obviously different there, but he was in an organization that was just in that whole mired losing culture. Yeah, it is a good example in the sense that Matt Stafford, I think if you looked at his Lions career, you would say he's never done anything. He's never accomplished anything to make you feel like he should be a go-to guy on another franchise, right? Like, why are you suddenly deciding this now? Well, I think he proved that he's more than capable. And this was a clear instance of an organization subverting a winning caliber quarterback success. So in that sense, I think that's, if you are Derek Carr, that is a comparison you would want because you want to be able to say the same thing about yourself. Right. I know we've talked to, uh, you know, a few folks that covered obviously Carr with the Raiders and uh, Hondo Carpenter was the one that mentioned that his goal, a number one is to be back in Vegas next year, but for the Super Bowl, that's pretty, you know, pretty bold and interesting. I, 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 obviously you love to hear that. I think everyone would say that, right? Yeah. But only Tom Brady and, and Matt Stafford have yeah. actually done it. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. I mean, and, and like, I actually would have to go back and look at some of these old examples on this list. I don't think we ever went through them, but like guys like Randall Cunningham, Warren Moon, Vinny Testaverde, Joe Montana, Jim McMahon, Doug Williams, Jim Plunkett, Ken Stabler, Craig Morton, and Fran Tarkenton are the ones I identified who went to new teams and had success. But I do think it was so different for a lot of these guys, with the exception of maybe Randall Cunningham. That's kind of unfair because it was 1997. Like, cutting it off at 2000 feels kind of arbitrary to, like, was the league that much different in 2000 to what it was in 97 compared to what it is now? I don't know. But that's the list of the old guys. Do you remember Randall Cunningham? Yeah, I mean, that was definitely, as a kid growing up, as an Eagles fan, was, you know, my, my favorite quarterback. And I was definitely devastated when they moved on from him kind of thing. And seeing him su- have success, though, with the Vikings, there, there was just something about, you talk about escapability about it with a quarterback, and he was really kind of like a, a, almost like superhero powers where he had that flexibility and ability to stay balanced and on his feet was just amazing with a with an arm that was was pretty incredible. I'm I'm very happy though with where the uh actually, you know, the organization obviously is now with Jalen Hurts. Just unfortunate. I don't know if we're going to ever see that kid in the Super Bowl again kind of thing. Yeah, it, it is kind of 
funny. It's like you look at it, it's kind of like, you know, when the Thunder got to the finals with Durant and Westbrook and Harden and Ibaka, he, and you were like, fought, right. You're like, oh, the first of many. And then they never got back again. Um, and so, like, that's where Jalen Hurts is right now. Like, this team, you're like, oh, man, they're going to be there every year. But that's just not how pro sports works. Like, things turn over and, and circumstances change. And so, hopefully, they can get back because I think he played well enough to win that Super Bowl. Yeah, that's that's why I missed the last podcast. I was still in mourning, and I, I as good as he did play, though, Jeff, how Jeff can fumbled. you just how can you drop that ball? Yeah, Kadarius Tony is the it won that game for the Chiefs. And like we're gonna talk about Pat Mahomes, he's gonna be the hero. <laughs> Everyone's gonna interview Travis Kelsey. Kadarius Tony changed that game with that kick return. Unbelievable, like, right? Like you talk about teams and why they might prioritize a returner. Well, it's like that game changed the Super Bowl. Like it was back and forth. And then all of a sudden the Chiefs score, get the ball back at the four. The Philly, the Philly defense that was so talked about and vaunted too did absolutely nothing. But but that's also the like the Philly defense wasn't on the field <laughs> for that kick return, right? You, no, you were no. able to you were able to damage that team without the defense ever getting on the field. And like that. Kadarius Tony pickup is like mind-bogglingly good for them. It's the second time in recent years that the Giants had drafted a first a guy in the first round, and then he was not on the team within like two years and ended up on the Chiefs. The other one was DeAndre Baker, who got arrested for like robbing somebody, and then the case got dropped, but he had already been released from the Giants, and the Chiefs signed him. He wasn't good there either. He was a bust, but it's just kind of funny that that's like the Chiefs go-to. Um, speaking of of decisions. H-Town Creole says Saints need a complete rebuild. Anything else is a delusion. This team is old with little talent and a high cap. I would like to see this team. Re like, honestly, I wish they had rebuilt two years ago, but that's just not how this team operates. Like they're going to keep going for it. So you kind of have to live with it. And that's where I think the frustration creeps in. If I'm, if I'm thinking of it from a fan perspective of like, what's the goal here? You know, like you talk about how Derek Carr's goal was to get back to the Super Bowl. It doesn't feel like this team is operating necessarily with the Super Bowl, with the goal of winning a Super Bowl. It feels like this team is operating with the goal of winning a bad NFC South. And that's what's frustrating to me is like, I get it. You don't want to be a losing franchise, but at the same time, the mediocrity is almost worse than being a a bottom scraping franchise because then at least you get a chance at a Joe Burrow or you know a Justin Herbert or a Deshaun Watson or a Pat Mahomes or whatever you name it Josh Allen keeps going like being in the middle in that awkward QB hell stage where you just like bring in the Jake Plumbers of the world just to annoy that, that, that I can't remember who it was that got mad at me that's that's where you get frustrated so I understand where you're coming from but I also just don't expect this team to ever go that route um, unless it happens naturally. And, and there's no, even if you pick that quarterback early, obviously there's still no guarantees. There's, there's been plenty of swings and misses we all know about. I just, there's gotta be some kind of plan, obviously though, in place a quarterback, you can't just be left stranded and deserted. Like right now, there was just never kind of, there was never, there's never been a QB developmental program, I guess you could say from a draft perspective from this team. Nope. And here's a good kind of comment on that. Jason Brown again, he says, I feel like DA wants to win like that. Oh, one Ravens team, just get a QB that does just enough to win and then let the defense dominate. I agree. 
But at the same time, if that was the case, then you would have just gone with Taysom Hill in the first place. Like they are clearly trying to find someone who is a little more with a little more upside than a Taysom Hill. But like, I, I, I think it is interesting because I think there is an argument to be made that you would have been more successful last season if you did just go with the simple kind of veer offense and just ran the ball down people's throats and then tried to defend leads. Um, but they didn't. I, they they I, wanted a more explosive quarterback. So, yeah. I'd say one big problem, though, with trying to cram the ball down folks' throats, though, was the offensive line, you know, getting banged up. And that, that didn't help, obviously. Well, yeah, but, like, that was a decision you could have you would have made early on. Prior like, to, right. I'm just yeah. saying in the sense that they chose not to go that route. Like, from the beginning, they didn't even – give Taysom a shot like it was at the draft combine last year that DA was like yeah we're gonna work him in more as a tight end so it was like never he was never in consideration to be the quarterback and that was interesting to me because I thought that when you look at the most success DA had was in that week 15 game beating the Bucks nine to nothing right like if Taysom was the starting quarterback in week two you could have won that game the same way right like it was the same exact game. Shoot, you might have had a you had a definitely a better chance that week three game too in Carolina. Yeah, I'm just saying like the way you won that week 15 game against the Bucks nine to nothing. The game in week two at the Superdome was the yeah. exact same game. The right. difference is you threw you threw pick six and like you 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 tried to get aggressive because you weren't defending a lead. Anyway. No, there, there was a lot of things we Jeff. There were so many questions with this offense that. Why are they doing this? And then it's like, okay, then I see the plan here. They're going this way. And then if it worked in one game, it seemed the plan changed in the next. I I really was confused with the usage of Taysom this season, even though he, he if you look at the stats and the numbers, he did obviously get plenty of touches because he 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 was the one guy, the guy getting them to the end zone for this team, but there was just nothing else. The funny thing is he threw the ball more than I was expecting, which is kind of <laughs> He it's definitely kind of didn't catch the ball more than I thought he was going to. Here's Dustin156, who's not a Taysom fan. He says Taysom is a fumble machine. And, you know, this is actually an interesting question because Taysom Hill had a very crazy fumble-prone season. But beyond that, he's actually been very protective of the football. But, like, he had, like, 12 fumbles in the 2020 season. And it was wild. I'm trying to find it. I just remember this this season when Mark Ingram fumbled early on. I thought it was uncharacteristic, I said, of him, and everyone jumped down my throat saying, oh, he's coughed up the ball a bunch in the past, and I just had not remembered it like that. No, he, he has not, right. So he had 10 fumbles, not fumbles lost, just fumbles total, in the 2020 season. He's never had more than two in any other year, <laughs> which is like – but like he was crazy fumble prone in that one season, which is kind of strange. Like, how does that happen? I, it was also the season that he got his most extended run as a starting quarterback. So that's part of it too. But it wasn't just that. He was fumbling all the time, regardless of whether he was starting. It was just a weird season for him. Um, but I don't think that like he is necessarily fumble prone, like in general. Like he didn't fumble at any key points this year. I think the two fumbles here were were bad snaps. Like one of them was against the Falcons. If you remember, he got fourth and one under center and he fumbled. Like that was one of the fumbles. So just an example. I would not characterize Taysom as as a fumbler. But except for that one year where he did nothing but fumble. So like I understand why it's a critique. You said how many were there again? Ten. 
And how many were lost though? I'm not sure. I'd have to. Okay. Uh, it's it's tough. But I still, yeah, to putting the track. ball on the ground ten times is a lot. Obviously, yeah, he he put the ball on the ground constantly that <laughs> year, which is just kind of strange because he that it actually hasn't been something he's done a lot of. And you would think this year with that early rib injury, it could be an issue, but it wasn't. Well, he did it. Yeah, he was dealing with a rib. Yeah. Here's the total truth. Todd Shaw says, hopefully the Saints don't let Denver cotton them out of Hill. Peyton is a foe, not a friend. Don't get it twisted. Personally, I'd like to see the Saints get fields. It would work. Can't be scary. I don't know about the, what the last part means. I think he's saying can't be scared. If Denver showed up and offered like a fourth round pick, Taysom Hill would be gone so fast. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> I agree. Like if, if they if the Saints found a way to turn Taysom Hill into a legitimate asset, knowing that he's Sean Payton's guy, he's in Denver. And I, I, I love think- Taysom Hill, but like you'd be crazy to not just say, you know what, Sean, have your guy. It's the same reason I'm not mad at Zach Street for leaving. Like oh, he's a Sean Payton guy. He can go hang out with Sean Payton. And, and it's a, one of those things, too. It's like, I, I think a lot of po- folks are, they, they don't know what to, uh, uh, Taysom Hay, you know, Tilt Hill is actually 32 years old. He's really not that young. No, right. I well, feel like folks yeah, think he's like a 27, 28-year-old. Yeah, it's the BYU thing where you come into the league late. But yeah, he's not a young guy. And while like, yeah, like he was a very effective part of the offense last season, he's not your future at quarterback. And so if you can turn him into a, you can turn a UDFA who you're still trying to figure out how to use into a fourth round pick. I'm taking it. No. Plus obviously we know, you know, trying to free up as much cash space as you can. And yeah, I, I think that a fourth round pick, I, I would actually jump at that for compensation for Taysom. Here's more Taysom is Kermit the frog here. Uh, all oh. I'm saying is we not winning a chip with the current roster. So why sign car or anything to some stupid contract? And we can start Taysom and tank for the future and fix the defense and coach. Well, for one, because the head coach who's here right now is has no interest in getting himself fired to appease the fans. So he's not going to do that. But I do think that, you know, at a certain point, the contract that you're having to dump on Derek Carr doesn't make sense. And you will be forced to consider a cheaper alternative and, Taysom is one of those. I don't think he would be the alternative if you went down that road, but he's on the roster. So if you did decide it, you could do it. I don't think it's likely. Actually, we're setting stuff up for sports talk with the news of Alvin Kamara's indictment in Las Vegas for, for that whole fiasco. Is Wait, what happened? Alvin Kamara got indicted along with did four he? other. Yeah. Breaking news here on Inside Black and Gold. So yeah, we're just sorry. Was buried in my phone looking to get a guest for the other show. Yes. All right. So yeah, that's gonna be something. I'll have to get on that shortly. But all right. Right. Got a couple more here. Randy Savage still wants them to sign Drew Brees as the QB's coach. He's not. So one thing that we know about Drew Brees is he's not interested in coaching because he told us. Whatever the macho man wants, we must listen to Randy Savage. You think that's the real Andy Savage? (laughs) No, he's dead. Allegedly. (laughs) <laughs> um, there's Kermit again, tasting better than Tebow. Well, yeah, that's probably true. Absolutely. I, I mean, there, there were still parts of Taysom that we're still seeing a quarterback because obviously he's, he's productive. There was just nothing with Tebow. Although it'd be, you know what? I would love to see, like, if see, to see what Sean Payton kind of con- could have concocted with Tebow in his prime kind of thing. Tebow 
there's a reason they didn't bring him back as the quarterback. No, I if know. If he had agreed to be a tight end, he would he would be he would have been Taysom, right? Right. If he could have if he if he could have been the original quote unquote Swiss Army knife. Total truth, Todd Shaw. So this is we can close on this because uh, I think it's a good it's a good point. It says every free agent quarterback isn't worth thirty million plus just because the market says so. Don't do it. How many Super Bowls we've been to? That would be the only way to spend that kind of money. The core is young. You know, I would argue that the every quarterback on the market is worth what the market says they are. And money isn't real. Gold is a rock that we pulled out of the ground. And <laughs> as long as you feel like that quarterback can win you games, you're going to pay him whatever it takes. It's the most important position on the field, and you don't get cheap when it comes to the quarterback position. That said, I agree, not every free agent on the market. Like, I'm not dropping a bag on Geno Smith. Nothing against Geno Smith, but if anyone's going to drop a bag on Geno Smith and it's not the team that he's already playing for, I think that should tell you something about whether it's worth dropping a bag on Geno Smith. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's only four quarterbacks that are technically free agents who are going to be in the range of 30 plus million. It's Derek Carr, Daniel Jones, Geno Smith, Lamar Jackson, everyone below that, I think. And that includes Jimmy Garoppolo and Jameis. I think they're going to get in the range of 20, 25. Yeah, when you go through that, obviously the clear name that doesn't belong in all that to me was Lamar Jackson, who's clear and you know head and shoulders above everyone, everyone else mentioned in that pack. Oh yeah, 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 no question, no question. I'm just, I'm just saying, like he's that's the list of the thirty million dollar. It's just amazing though that everybody else kind of gets lumped along with that for the price of a starting quarterback in the NFL nowadays. I mean, it's just absurd. Yeah. I agree with that. Dustin, we can, I, I lied. We'll close on this. Dustin one, five, six. What do y'all think about Taylor Heineke? I think he's not that good. I think he's okay. I think he's average. I think, I think he's, he's good. In like a, I think he's good in like a backup Andy Dalton kind of role. Like right. in, in, in case of emergency break glass. Right. Case Keenum. Right. Like I, I think that's who he is. And, and there's nothing, I mean, you need that. I'm, I'm not trying to talk down about the guy, but that's just, that's who he is. And if he can have a case, a career like case Keenum, that's probably a win for him. But yeah, he's not—he's not a guy I would consider bringing in as a starter. Definitely not. That's—that's that's definitely someone though that you have on for QB depth. I, I don't see that as—I wouldn't turn my nose up to that at, at all either. Just because he's still a relatively young guy too that has experience in the game, obviously. Right. Like you—you you see teams that have to go to their backup quarterbacks, right? Like look at the 49ers this year, <laughs> right? Like like you, teams need that valuable backup quarterback who your starter goes down and you still feel like you can go win a game. I put him in that range. Like when I say he's a backup, I don't mean like he's a, he's a useless quarterback, but yeah. like look at Gardner Minshew for the Eagles, right? Like he's a high value backup as well. I don't know if I'd want him as a starter, but if, if I need to throw someone in at halftime and have a chance to win, he's not a bad option. So that's kind of where I put Taylor Heineke too. And I mean, he's had his chances. It's not like he hasn't had chances to, to, to win that job, but they're going to go with Sam Howell next year. So, you know, I think that like when the team kind of moves on from you, I think that's pretty telling. And then when you're moving on from the team, like Derek Carr is. The better question is now we're, what's the next landing spot for Carson Wentz? Hopefully not New Orleans. <laughs> I, I don't know how many more landing spots there are left for this. Exactly. Guy. Like, right. I mean, how many teams are going to pick trick themselves into thinking that he's going to be that we, the, the Nick Foles Super Bowl winning Carson Wentz. Yeah, we we can snap him out of his head case and restore him to his 
once MVP caliber glory before yeah. his injury. And yeah, he's just never been the same dude. <laughs> Not how it works in real no. life. But all right, I think that's going to wrap it up for us here. I said I wanted to keep it close to an hour. Instead, we got to 90 minutes, so it's going to be a tight squeeze to try to get this edited. But hey, this is that's the game we play. Anything, any parting thoughts, Steve, before we get out of here? I hope you catch a shoe tonight. Shoes. Let's get some shoes. All right, that's it. Thanks, everyone, for listening. This is Inside Black and Gold. If you haven't, hit the like button, subscribe, ring the bell, do all that. Leave a rating, leave a review. Don't leave a one-star review unless you tell me why. And if you tell me why, I'm going to complain about it. Love you guys. Keep helping us grow, man. Bye.